listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, we are going to look at something very interesting. In fact, it's something that everyone desires whether we really even voice that or even realize that there's something that everybody desires, and John is going to talk about it once again this morning, and it's the idea, the word of assurance. You know, everybody, this is a desire that, that we all have when you're a young child, and your mom takes you probably, I don't know, for your first day of school, you want to be assured she's going to show up at the end of the day to pick you up. I can even remember being a little kid and listening to my parents argue and you know you start hearing those thoughts in your head and man I'm looking for assurance that my parents are going to work this out and they're going to stay together you get a little bit older and there's things that we're looking for assurance that uh, we've got peer groups and friends and we want assurance that they're going to accept us we, we want assurance that people are going to keep their word well, then as you get older, we're looking for assurance in a lot of things, in the jobs or careers that we have. I think we all want assurance in our marriages or with our children. There's things we want to be assured that, Lord, you tell me if I raise them in the love of you that they will not depart from that. And man, we all want assurance from that. But I think deep down, we all deeply desire this idea of assurance. So there was one morning I was being lazy and... Uh, I watched um, Leave It to Beaver. I don't know when the last time I watched Leave It to Beaver. And I forgot how bad the acting is on that show. Uh, but something's going on. I don't remember what it was. But, but Beaver's talking to his brother. I think Howard or Howie or something like that. Wally. Wally. That's it. Wally. And he says, Wally, I, I just want to be sure that I'm sure. And I thought it's almost as if he's read 1 John, that he wants to be sure that he's sure. And in fact, I think this is really a lot about what this letter is all about. In fact, I went through this book once again of things that John wants us to know, to be sure that we are sure. In fact, there's 22 times in this gospel or this letter that John has this. In fact, he wants us to know that we know God. He wants us to know that we will be like Jesus. He wants us to know that we have passed out of death into life. He wants us to know, have assurance that God abides in us. He wants us to have assurance that we have eternal life and wants us to know that we belong to God. In fact, 22 different times, that was John's point. So this letter once again ends with this focus that John wants us to be sure that we're sure. In the words of Beaver. In fact, four things he wants us to know this morning. He wants us to have assurance about these four things. So look at verse 13 once again. And the first thing he wants us to know, he wants you to be assured of, is that you have, you can know that we have eternal life. Verse 13, it reads, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John begins by saying these things. In fact, he's reflecting all back on this letter. 
In fact, if you write anything down, you'd write this down today. If anybody ever asks you, what is 1 John all about? It's all about three words. It's about faith or believe. It's about obedience and love. Faith, obedience, and love. Those are the themes. That is John's themes of this book. So he says, I've wrote these things, all these things to you about belief and faith and obedience and love. I'm writing these things to you. It begins with believing. It begins with trusting. And then we saw several times that obedience, it shows who we are. And it builds an assurance in us that we belong to God. And then when we love, it shows who we belong to. It's evidence of faith and that it builds confidence that we are known and God knows us and that uh, we know him and it grows our faith. But once again, John wants us to realize who he is writing to. In fact, the audience, he says, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So John says, assurance of salvation and eternal life, he says, are possible. That God wants us to know and wants believers to have this assurance. He doesn't want his children to question or doubt or even worry about their eternal future. He doesn't want us to do that. But every believer, I believe, goes through these seasons or at least even at some point experiences doubt. So when that happens... What do we do? I think one thing that we do is we have to go back and remind ourselves over and over and over about what actually saves us. Because what happens is we get into this mindset, I think happens is we try to go back to all these things that we do. We look for all the things now. And what we see is that our salvation does not depend on doing more good than bad after we're saved. That our salvation doesn't depend on us becoming more moral or, or better people. In fact, our salvation doesn't even depend on how well we overcome sin. And John would tell us these are all effects of salvation, but they are never the cause of it. And so what we do when the doubt comes, we go back to what actually saves us. And our salvation depends on what Christ has done for us, and it depends on nothing else. It's all about what he did, and that is what saves us, and we simply trust in that. So when thinking about doubting, I think there's one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, why am I doing this? Why am I doubting? I think there can be a couple of reasons. One reason we could be doubting is that maybe we're actually not living according to God's design or plan for our life. Because John has showed us that obedience builds assurance. And if we're not following God's design, we're not following God's plan, then there's going to be doubt about whether we belong to him. But another reason is maybe God is at that time calling us to maybe a, a higher uh, plan of Christian service. And we're not responding to that. God's put this calling and he's calling us to something greater and us refusing to do that can create doubt. Or perhaps it could even be Satan himself. The evil one that John said that is ruling this world. But the truth that John wants us to know is that we can know, we can be sure that we are sure that we have eternal life. 
Because obedience builds assurance. And then what he does is through that, something can happen. We have a a higher assurance. We have a higher um, confidence. It'll be seen in something. But if we lack assurance, especially of our eternal state, there is something that will suffer. Because assurance affects our prayer life. And that leads John to a second point, that we can know that God answers prayers. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence, or once again, the assurance that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, have assurance that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, we have a confidence that we have the request that we have asked of him. But here's the key. Notice what your confidence or your assurance in prayer is based upon. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. So confidence in prayer, it's it's not saying the right words. It's not following some formula that somebody gave you. It's not even trying to to sound spiritual. Those are not the confidences that we have when it comes to prayer. Notice he says, confidence is in God. It is towards him. And here's why. It's because God never changes. He never lies. We saw once again, God never makes a wrong decision. He always does what is right and true And as we've heard and as we have sang, he always keeps his promises. And that's what our confidence in in prayer is based upon. That our confidence is in the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that holds the universe together. That is where our confidence in prayer lies. But if our confidence in our prayer is in anything else, it's going to fail. So it's not in saying the right words. It's not in following the perfect formula. It's not in getting to a certain state where you sound real spiritual. It's not even praying a certain number of times. Our confidence is in him. And then notice the key to an answered prayer in verse 14. Your prayer will always be answered in whatever we ask according to his will. That God isn't some genie in a bottle that, you know, if you rub the bottle and you're going to get every wish that you ask for. But when we pray and it lines up with God's will, the answer is always yes. In fact, listen how George Mueller says it. He says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's not trying to convince God to do something. It's, it is laying hold of his willingness. Therefore, nothing we ask for lies beyond the power of God. Nothing except that which lies beyond his will, his purpose, and his plan. So I hope we can understand this about prayer. That prayer is really this transformational thing that happens within believers. Because when we ask God, we can go to him about anything. In fact, we saw in this series, you can go to God with the big things and the small things. And when we pray, it is exercising trust and faith in God. It's using, it's exercising our faith when we pray. But the key is that when we pray, 
It is this transformational thing that we go through where we have to be willing to lay down our desires and our plans for his. Yes, we ask. God, I'm asking you to move in this. I'm asking you to heal this person. I'm asking you to move this mountain. I'm asking you to provide in this way. So yes, we pray and we ask. But at the same time, prayer is submitting your will to his. The prayer is an opportunity to trust God's sovereign plan for our lives and the life of others. The prayer is actually an act of laying down our wheels, laying down our plans and desires, and learning to trust that God knows best. In fact, God will always answer a prayer in one of four ways. You pray about something, sometimes it can be a, a direct yes. Sometimes it can be a direct no. Sometimes it's a wait. Now is not the time. Or the answer might actually be, I have something better for you. And you see this all throughout Scripture. In the early church in Acts, where we'll be picking up in uh, our Bible study time next week, Acts chapter 2. Remember, Peter's in prison. A little bit later on in the book. The church gets together and they begin praying for Peter's release. And God answers with a miraculous deliverance and a direct yes. But then we think about Mary and Martha. Prayed for Jesus to come and to heal their brother. But what does Jesus do? He delays. He waits. But Jesus answered their prayer, but it was delayed. But then we have Paul. Paul prayed over and over and over for God to remove this thorn in his flesh. But God never answered that prayer with a yes. In fact, God answered it with something better. That Paul learned that God's grace was sufficient. So in all cases, God holds the outcomes of all of our prayers in his hands. Every single time. And the prayers according and line up with his will and purposes. He always answers. But so for us, yes, we can take any request we have before God. For ourselves or other people. But prayer is also a way that we are exercising faith. That God, I know that you have the power to do this. I know that you can do this. But at the same time, it's learning to trust God and laying down our wills and our desires and our plans and learning to live according to His. So John wants us to know that we have eternal life and he wants us to know that God answered prayers. He wants us to have assurance of those things. And now I'm going to be honest. I really wish we could skip these next two verses. I really do. I think these are probably two of the most difficult verses in all of the New Testament. They're difficult to translate. They're, they're difficult to uh, kind of take to a real practical way. In fact, one of them, it's really even hard to understand what John is actually saying. So I'm going to do my best. Look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask or pray, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. 
So the big question we have to answer first is, well, what is this sin? What is this sin that leads to death? And what is the sin that does not lead to death? What is that sin? What is John talking about? And I think the original readers knew exactly what John was talking about. And I wished I did too, but I don't. But there are really, I think you could boil all arguments down to four views about what is this sin that leads to death and doesn't lead to death. So here's one view. One view is there is a sin that is so horrible, so heinous, that that God will not forgive it. Well, I think if you're worried about committing that sin, you haven't done it. Because you're worried about it, and that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in you. But I don't believe that is what John has in mind. I don't think there's this sin Because he doesn't even tell us what he is. There's this one sin. If you stay away from that, that's the only sin God will not forgive. Or it can mean apostasy. That someone who is saved, that ultimately rejects Jesus. Well, the problem I have with that view is that genuine believers never commit apostasy. They were never true believers to begin with. It was a false belief, a false faith. So for me, it's between these last two. That there could be a sin that someone commits and God's punishment, or or I'd say discipline of that sin, is God brings about a physical death. And there's a view that that's what John is talking about. It's a physical death that you commit a sin and because of God's discipline, he, he takes you out. Well, we read that in Acts 5. The closest example would be Ananias and Sapphira. Where they did not bring all the offerings and they lied about it. And what does God do? God brings death upon them. And that's a view that many uh, theologians take, many pastors take. But there's a fourth view. And this is the one that I tend to lean towards. That John is talking about what we would refer to as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is a person that ultimately, continually rejects Jesus Christ. Rejects God's calling to believe. And when that happens, God removes that conviction. He removes that from their life and they are left, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they are left in their sin forever. So for me, I think option four might be the best one. I could be persuaded any other way. So if that's the case, the sin that leads to death, think of it this way. It's not one certain act, but a state. That a person that is continuing to reject Jesus, they're refusing to trust in him. For that person that refuses to repent, that refuses to trust in Jesus Christ, all of their sin is leading to death. So then the sin that doesn't lead to death is the person that has trusted in Jesus Christ, that is believing in him. Therefore, none of their sin, not one from past, present, or future, ever leads to death. So that's my best attempt at what John is saying. But then it's the last phrase. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, he doesn't say that we shouldn't. But he says, I do not say that one should pray for that. And I think at this point, John is turning it over. And he says, listen, I've commanded you. I've I've told you to do a lot of things. But for the person that is in sin leading to death, I'm not going to do that. That is between you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because this say doesn't pray for them. He doesn't say pray for them. I do not say that one should pray for that. 
They were to leave that between the person and the Holy Spirit to continue to pray for them. But hear me say, if there's a person in your life and you do not think they're a believer, yes, you should pray for them. But I think what John is really doing, he's trying to show the gravity and the seriousness of sin. This brings John to the third thing that we can know. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that God answers prayers. And for the believer, we can know victory over sin. Because look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, we've seen this truth before, that obedience to God's will and design, what does it do? It builds an assurance that we belong to him, that we are his children. Therefore, sin, that is what tears down that confidence. So one of the times, if if I'm doubting, I need to examine myself and say, is there any unconfessed sin? So John says, if someone is born again a genuine Christian, they will not keep on sinning. But it can't mean that a believer never sins. Because we go back all the way to chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John is saying the hearts of a true believer, when they exercise faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there is a transformation that takes place in the life of a believer that will not let them continue in a pattern of sin. The Holy Spirit won't allow it. So I think what John is doing, he's arguing um, in this case, he's arguing kind of for the, the incompatibility of sin. It doesn't belong, it doesn't go with, not the impossibility of it. So it doesn't mean that Christians are ever completely free from sin. Not in this life. But we will no longer live a lifestyle of sin. But do you remember what we do when we do sin? What we're to remember? That we have an advocate. That we have a one that paid the price. We have a one that goes before the Father on our behalf. So even though we're never totally free from the sin nature in John wants his readers and us to know this. To know you have eternal life. To have assurance of that. To know that God hears and he answers prayers. And to know the victory that we can have over sin. But then there's one last thing John wants us to have assurance of. That we can know what is true. In verse 20 he says, And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding. He's given us knowledge. So that we may know him Who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God. And eternal life. Little children keep yourselves. From idols. You know it's interesting. We hear so many contradicting messages today. That we've seen before. That it's hard sometimes to know what is true and not. And we've talked about that over and over again. But God promises us that we can know what is true. And what is always true, no matter what is going on in the world, is who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do. That never changes. 
So then notice, it's kind of interesting how he ended this. So notice the battle that we then all face in battling for truth. It's the last thing he tells us, the last warning. He says, keep yourselves from idols. Because John knows there are many things in our lives that want to replace Jesus. And John would call them idols. And he says, keep yourselves from these. Now think how fitting that Advent is such an important time of knowing what is true. A time that the church sets aside to truly focus on this historical, true, and eternal event. So over the next several weeks, it's opportunities to revisit the truth of God's Son coming to earth. That God took on our humanity, Jesus, in the flesh. That he comes and he is all God and all man. It's an opportunity to think about, reflect upon what this means for us. Without the incarnation, there is no Christianity. And I think an opportunity to relearn how much God loves and cares for us. So I hope we will take advantage of that over the next several weeks. And so that brings us to the end of this great book of 1 John. He wants to end with us knowing that we can know we have eternal life, that God answers prayers, victory over sin, and what is true. This morning, I want to try something. I want to try to sum up this book with an illustration. problem with illustrations, you never quite know how they're going to go. But we're going to give it a shot. Um, Carla, will you come up for a minute? You, come, you can come right over here. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my distance. Do what? Yes, it is. I made sure you could do something earlier. And so this has been a great series, walking through this book of First John. And it's about three things. It's about faith, it's about obedience, and it's about love. Everything about it. So I'm going to make you a promise that I want you to know I love you, this church loves you, and I'm going to make you a promise. I found out earlier that you can actually snap really well. Pretty loud snaps. Give us, give us an a, a, a illustration. Ah, you can snap. So I'm going to make you a promise. I have an egg here. I'm going to lay this egg here. And I'm going to make you a promise. If you will snap your finger, fingers three times. Not two, not four, but three times. If you can snap your fingers and crack that egg, I'm going to give you $20. Okay? If you can snap your fingers three times, not two, not four, but three times. If you can snap your fingers and break that egg... I'm going to give you $20, okay? Do you trust me? Yeah. Okay? So three snaps, and the three snaps, if they break that egg, this $20 is yours, all right? Give it a shot. Three snaps, not two, not four, three snaps, and if that egg cracks, I promise you, I'll give you $20. Are you ready? You trust me? Can you touch it? Yeah. It's a real egg. All right. Do you trust me? Yeah. Okay. Snap your fingers, not twice, mm-hmm. not four, but three times. And if that egg cracks, I'll give you $20. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Let's see it. Three times. It's not gonna... Do you trust me? I... Of course. Okay. Snap your fingers. You don't trust these fingers. <laughs> no, stand right there. Nope. Okay. 
Snap three times, and if that egg cracks, I'm going to give you $20. All right. All right, so here's your $20. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What did you do to crack that egg? To crack the egg, what did you do? I snapped my fingers. But did that crack the egg? No. No, but what did you do? You trusted that I made you a promise. And when you made that promise, you took it and you've obeyed, not three, not twice, not four times, but what I asked three times, and the egg broke. So there's faith. You believed. And then you obeyed. Now, the next time I asked you that, you'd have a lot more faith, wouldn't you? But there's faith, and there's obedience, but then there was love. So what I want you to do, I want you to take another $20, but I want you to give that to someone else. So believe. So give her a hand. She did great. So this book is all about three things. It's all about faith. It's all about obedience. And it's all about love. So church, stand with me. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.